What's up, everybody? Welcome or welcome back to the Inner Voice podcast. Today's guest is Kara Goucher, a US Olympian, world championship silver medalist, and has placed third at both the Boston and New York City marathons. However, in the spirit of the I'm Curious to Know project, I'm much less interested in her results as an athlete and more concerned with bringing to light her current work. As the co-host of the Clean Sport Collective podcast, Kara is on a mission to celebrate clean athletes. But as you'll hear, some of the most impactful conversations she's had are with convicted dopers, much to the surprise of her own instinct. It's given her a new perspective, not to celebrate the athletes and their indiscretions, but to learn from them, to ensure we can educate and inform the next generation of athletes to make different choices. Kara has also made a stand for women in sport and the opportunity for women to have a fair chance to have a family and still compete postpartum. She shares her own personal struggles of trying to come back too soon after having her son Colt. Kara is brave and I applaud her for standing up for what she believes in. If we all use our voice, we can make positive change. Thank you for being here. Enjoy the show. Kara, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm really excited for, for today and I alluded to it in the show notes that um, I want to talk less about results in your athletic history um, and more about the work you're doing now. Um, but I want to share an interesting, funny story of how we first met. Uh, we were connected through a mutual friend of ours, Kevin Rutherford, the CEO of Noon, who we had on the show earlier this month. Um, and I had this idea that I wanted to surprise my wife, who is, a, who is a fan of yours. I wanted to surprise her with a meeting with you. So we were visiting Boulder uh, and I told her that we were going to meet a friend of mine, Tyler Butterfield, who's a pro triathlete. And we're sitting at uh, the coffee shop and she's like, do I really have to be here? Like, why you and Ty can talk. Like, you guys are just going to chat for hours and I'm just going to sit here like the third wheel. So I was, de- and so she wanted to leave. She's like, I'll just go home. You, I can come back and pick you up. And I'm like, no, 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 you have to wait. And then uh, all of a sudden, Kara starts walking down the, the, the sidewalk. I shout out, Kara, hey, it's Travis. You come over and then we have an amazing hour of conversation and you surprised her and she was over the moon. Oh, she was awesome. And we even got to run again after you had after she had your daughter. And I, that seems like a lifetime ago, though. I mean, you have two children now. I've always <laughs> been indebted to you for that. That that got me some brownie points for sure. So I appreciate that. Oh, good. Well, lifetime ago, of course. And we're all obviously dealing with this current situation of COVID and where it feels like life is going by at a million miles an hour, but also standing still at the same time. How have you uh, and, and Adam and Colt been dealing with the current circumstances? You know, we're doing okay. We've taken it pretty seriously. So we've been locked down in our house. We haven't been traveling or going to restaurants or having, you know, seeing friends. So that's getting a little old now. Um, But honestly, like I feel every time someone asks me about this, I feel bad really saying anything because people are losing their jobs and people are dying and we're just sort of like stuck in our nice home with our big yard. So homeschooling was a bit of a challenge, but that's done. And so we're just sort of like, yeah, I want to see my friends again and I want to train with people. Um, but that's sort of small potatoes compared to what other people are dealing with. I was lucky to have Courtney Dewalter on the show yesterday. She's amazing, obviously an incredible ultra runner and you personally kind of dipped your toe in the water well, more than a toe, you you launched yourself into it uh, <laughs> with both feet uh, in the ultra world and the trail world last year. Tell me about that experience. What was that like coming from your career on the road to and the track to getting out on the trails and in the ultra world? You know, they're, they're two totally different sports. And I think 
you know, there was a lot of hype before the Leadville Trail Marathon. And, you know, that was the like physically the hardest thing I've ever done. I've never raced that high. I definitely made a lot of, you know, rookie mistakes. I'm not super good on anything technical. I'm definitely not great at super high elevation, but it was such an awesome experience. I mean, the race itself was horrible, but <laughs> the aftermath of just like such cool people, such a cool community, the welcomeness of it, you know, like if you bomb a, a road marathon and you come in with all this hype, there's a lot of chatter for a while after about like, did that person deserve all this attention? And oh, it was overplayed. There, like, no one cared. I mean, I almost didn't go to the award ceremony because I was embarrassed. And I ended up going, and it was so awesome. The people were like, welcome to the community. And so it was great. And then I did a 50K in November. And I actually think I liked that even more. I liked going further. And also, I had at that point, I had a little bit more experience. You know, I realized like it's okay to walk when you're tired and going up a steep hill and stuff. So I'm definitely curious about going into a 50 miler at some point. I'm just not sure when. You start, start on the track, <laughs> go to the marathon, 50K, 50 mile, and then yes. you and Courtney are d- dueling it out over 240 miles. That, that'll never happen. She is such an amazing ultra and trail athlete. And like, that's the funny thing is like, it doesn't matter what good road shape I'm in. I could never run with her on the trails. Yep. It's, they're just two different athletes. And so I think that's been interesting too, is there's a lot of like, well, you're good at this. You should be good at this. And they don't necessarily line up, but it's still been really fun. And at my age to discover a whole new way to experience running has been awesome. Did it help you uh, reconnect with your love for running? And I'm not saying that you fell out of love with running, but did it help you kind of find a new love and passion for the sport? For sure, because the trail running for me is not um, not motivated by performance. Yeah. So most of my life, it's been motivated by performance. I'm trying to make X team. I'm trying to run X time, um, where this was really just accomplishing a goal of doing this experience. And so, I mean, I had so many runs where I would just turn around and be like, I feel so alive right now, even though I just ran an 18-minute mile. You know, I feel like really alive at the top of this mountain. So. I've been addicted to running since I started organized running almost 30 years ago now. I'm never going to stop, but it's been super fun for me to experience something new at this point in my life. Has it also given you a little bit of an outlet? You know, we can get into the work that you're doing now, particularly around the Clean Sport Collective and and those things. But there has been some some moments in your life recently where, you know, you've gone through some some hard conversations and some hard times and the social media backlash and all of these things. You know, I had this amazing experience in career and I got to experience the highest highs. But, uh, you know, the last couple of years, have been, they've been hard. And I, if I didn't have running, I don't know what I would be relying on right now. Like, obviously, I have great family and friends, um, but I running has been something that every morning I go and do. And every morning when I'm feeling anxious, it helps me feel more in control of my life, feel more in control of the power within myself. So running, I mean, I've said it before, but like running is the greatest gift that I ever got in my life. Let's talk about some of that stuff. Um, the last two years you mentioned have been hard. You know, there's the Salazar, the Nike stuff. There's a lot of that stuff coming up. There's very recent um, stuff with Lance's 30 for 30. Um, there's been backlash around some of the conversations you've had on Clean Sport Collective. But maybe just give us a, a bit of a recap without going down that hole of like, what are some of those things that you've really been bravely standing up to and standing up for over those last couple of years? 
the situation with the Nike Oregon Project and Dr. Brown and, and Alberto Salazar specifically has been really hard. And there's been, you know, preparation for a trial, testifying, things that the public doesn't see that were going on for a long time. Um, and then publicly, you know, fighting for um, rights for female athletes and pregnancy, you know, supporting Mary Kane. That was a very difficult time for me. When Mary Kane spoke out, of course, I wanted to support her and I believe her and I absolutely just think she's an amazing champion for women. But I had to relive some of my past that I wasn't really proud of, seeing um, teammates shamed and, and not sticking up for them. And, and that was right before actually my 50K and I almost didn't go because it was just so low. I couldn't stop crying. I had called my old teammate and apologized, but I just felt like really sad that um, that I wasn't the kind of person I want to be. And having to relive a lot of that stuff has been difficult, but it's worth it because it's bringing bigger change and it's, you know, it's education and it's exposing things that really shouldn't be going on in our sport. I want to acknowledge you for being so brave to do that because a lot of people are probably in the same position as you where they've experienced that, they've been a part of it, they've seen it, they're, they have an opinion on it, but they're keeping it to themselves and that's the easy choice to make. But you're choosing to use your voice and create a new legacy for yourself for the good of the sport and for good of the future generations. So there, not, there has to be some acknowledgement for that. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I want to talk about the Clean Sport Collective. I remember the the launch and the excitement of it a few <laughs> years ago um, and, you know, getting behind it and, and taking the pledge personally. Uh, and then there's been a bit, of, a bit of a pivot and a shift to, to content and creating a podcast yeah, the collective is to just change the culture and that we all, whether you're a fan or a coach or a brand or an athlete, we all together can help make that change. Um, it, it launched in, I want to say 2016, and I think we just weren't really ready. You know, I wasn't a board member at the time, but I was definitely involved and we got so many pledges and it was so exciting, but we just didn't really, we didn't really know what we were trying to accomplish and it was difficult and we were we were trying to raise money for drug testing, but there wasn't really any money coming in. And we realized we were sort of in over our head. And then in 2018, or maybe it was 2019, I don't even know anymore, but we went to um, Shanna Burnett and I, who founded the Clean Sport Collective with Kevin Rutherford and Kevin Burnett, we went to uh, Anti-Dopey Conference in London. It really lit a fire under my butt. It was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to do something. And we have this platform that we started where thousands of people took this pledge and we kind of just let it fall apart. Like, we need to get back on the horse and get some stuff done. So we launched the podcast with the help of Chris McClung. It never would have happened without him because we don't have, I mean, like I was telling you, I don't, I'm terrible with everything that's technological. <laughs> like, it's just not my thing. So we needed someone who could actually help us through that. And he has a lot of podcast experience. And it just kind of started to grow. And from there, we were able to, you know, talk to other bigger people um, with more influence in, in this area. So now our goal is really one of our bigger goals for this year was to get our educational platform done. You know, one of our goals is to have an educational platform for youth that athletes that are really passionate about clean sport can take into their communities. Yeah. Um, that's kind of been disrupted right now by COVID because all of our grants that we were asking for have been put on pause. Um, but we're still really passionate about doing that. I think that's our next big goal we really want to accomplish. And then we just want to keep having this conversation. We want to highlight clean athletes, but we also want to learn from athletes that have taken the wrong path. And we just want everyone in 
on it. So you can go to cleansupport.org and you can sign the pledge no matter who you are, no matter what it is that you do in life, you can be a part of this collective together. You mentioned that the, the goal really is to celebrate, celebrate clean athletes, provide education and, and knowledge for people who are going through the ranks and experiencing what it is to be you know, an elite athlete. But then there's also the people who are dopers, people like Tyler Hamilton and Floyd Landis, who you have had on the show, um, which may seem you know, to some people looking in a, a strange decision. And I'm sure you've heard that um, from some people as well. But you described it perfectly to me before the show that there is an, an element of wanting to understand why that can then help people to make better decisions in the future. Yeah, and that's been really controversial for us, which has been um, interesting. Uh, lots of backlash, lots of negativity, lots of unfollow. Our goal is to highlight clean athletes and clean brands. And But if we only talk to clean athletes that have always made the right choice and we only talk to brands who are supporting clean athletes, we're not really learning about the culture that makes someone that, that, you know, manipulate someone into making that choice or support someone making a bad choice. I always believed it was black and white. Like you're a doper or you're not. You're, you're an asshole or you're a good person. And in 2016, I had lunch with Tyler Hamilton and I almost didn't go. I was like, we are not taking any pictures. I don't want anyone to know that this happened. And I was a little bit rude to him, which I regret now, definitely. Um, but in that conversation, I saw he was super open. He would answer any question I asked him. And I saw a person who was really like regretful. He, he understood that he had ruined a lot of people's lives, that he had disappointed his family, the people he, that he holds their, you know, opinions at highest value. And he had disappointed them. He had let them down his community. He had ruined certain aspects of his life over this. And I just started to feel I don't know, like I started to feel bad for him. And I never thought I could feel that way about someone who had robbed clean athletes. But I just started to think we need to hear from people like Tyler. We need to hear from people who who chose the wrong path, but now want to fix it. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying to me, they only said that because they got caught. Well, that might be true, but they're still willing to talk about it. And I think it's really important. And, you know, 90% of our podcasts are going to be with clean athletes, 95%. But we are going to talk to people who took the wrong path because we want to learn what was that like that made you do something that you knew was wrong. I really want to know. I'm curious to know. Why are you so outspoken about this? I don't know. I, I, think, I think it's how I was raised. And I think there's nothing wrong with not being the best, but there's definitely something wrong with shortcutting your way to get there. For most of my career, everyone around me felt that way. And even when I was in the Oregon project at the beginning, I really felt like for a few years, it was great. And we were doing everything the right way. And when I was finally exposed to something that I knew was wrong, I had all of that history to get to me to say no. But I often wonder, it's easy to stand here and be like, I would never do that, blah, blah, blah. But I had this amazing support system, including my husband. And I do wonder sometimes if I hadn't been married to Adam, if I didn't have a family that held me accountable, what would my story be like? And so I, I just really care about it. And I just want people to, to see that it, it never pays off, doesn't pay off. And running has done so much for my life. And I want that for other people in a pure way, 
like I've been able to have it. Hearing you talk like that and hearing you talk about the way that you approach the conversation with Tyler, I'm getting a sense that the empathy that you're able to show for him is actually going to be your greatest superpower. Like you can have a really strong voice of here's my experience with doping. Here's why it means so much for me to be outspoken. But you are have, you have this emotional intelligence to say, okay, I had the support system and I still may have made a different decision. So what can I do to provide as many tools as possible to the future generations so they too can make the decision that I was able to make? Yeah. And look, I, I also talking to Floyd, I just wanted to reach through the computer and give him a hug. I'm just going to admit it. But because I feel empathy for both of these men and, and other people, Yulia, Yulia Stepanov would be one of those people. It doesn't mean I'm excusing Yep. And I'm, I'm still horrified at what they did. I'm still angry at what they did. But listening to them talk me through it, I feel bad. I want to go back to that point in their lives where they made that decision. And I want to hold their hand and say, you don't have to do that. You know, there's another way. Um, so just to be clear, I'm not saying like, and now they're my heroes. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying yep. they are human. A lot of this is obviously coming up because of the document, the 30 for 30 with Lance. The retort that I'm hearing and we've heard for so many years is, Everyone else was doing it. I didn't have a choice. And I think that's complete bullshit because yes. everyone has a choice. There's so many people that we've never heard of because they made that choice. People's careers and livelihoods and opportunity to live out a childhood dream was stolen away from them because those people didn't make the same choice. Yeah, I mean, I hate that argument, right? It's so weak. And or the let just let everyone do it. They're just leveling the playing field. Well, that's yeah. been scientifically proven. That's not true. People respond to EPO differently. People respond to testosterone differently. Um, and, and just like you said, not everyone's doing it. And we just don't know them because they chose to not do it. So they didn't get to ride in the Tour de France. Yeah. Was it is it rife in the sport at the very top level? Yeah. But what if the culture didn't support that? Yeah. And maybe we don't see slower times and we don't see as much power on the bike, but we see better races and we see more interesting storylines. We want to say everyone's doing it. There's so many great stories that just aren't being told. And I think a lot of there's an American runner and you probably know who she is, Molly Huddle. But I often think of her, if she was racing a clean field, how much more she would be celebrated. I mean, she's run so fast in every event through the half marathon. She has the American record, um, American record in the 10K. She had the American record in the 5K. And she's run well in the marathon as well. Obviously, she podiumed in New York. But if she was always facing a level field, I feel like she would be, you know, like so much higher. And so those are the athletes that I'm fighting for. Those athletes should be elevated. I think cycling is probably the poster child for doping. I think we can agree on that, that they've done a horrible job at creating a culture that has manifested in the stories that we see today. We'd be remiss not to talk about athletics. We'd be remiss not to talk about NFL and baseball and mixed martial arts and all of these other sports that the culture may not be so overt and openly talked about, but it still exists. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think anyone's immune, even ultra running. I don't think is immune. Um, athletics has a lot of problems and we like to point the finger at cycling, you know, we're not as bad as them, but you know, we all have problems. And I think we just, we don't want to always talk about it because it's uncomfortable and, and we don't really know who's cheating and who's not cheating. But I think every sport, every single sport, I mean, 
wasn't there just just the other day like some e e car racer like on the computer but cheated <laughs> like yeah. they're cheating everywhere and so it's it's easy to point the finger at cycling just like it was easy to point the finger at Russia everybody has some problems what do you see as the path forward you know you're doing your part for sure but like what can the broader community and what can fans of sports and participants do to help carve this path forward if all the fans really wanted to see clean sport, they could have a huge impact. I think if they demanded it of the companies that they're buying products from, you know, like what if you said, I will not spend another dime on a shoe or a skate or a shirt from any company that has someone on their roster that's been caught. I mean, that would make a huge impact if everybody did that. So I think it's like using your purchasing dollars wisely and using your voice and driving your community around you to care and signing the pledge and being and just supporting what's happening. I really feel like I know that this is really like, nah, but I feel like when the culture becomes that it's unacceptable, it will follow. So if we can all talk about it more and we can celebrate clean athletes more and we can share our sadness and our, or our disgust, whatever it is, when someone gets caught let's not make it a taboo topic anymore. Let's talk about it so that we can create a culture around all of our sports where it matters and where a, someone who comes forward and tells the truth of what they saw is looked at and celebrated rather than made, you know, bitter, angry, whatever. Like, let's just change the way we look at everything. Yeah. I think that's the trouble. I think as fans, there's an apathy around like, oh, well, you know, whatever, it's a good spectacle. Like, you know, they're hitting home, more home runs. They're hitting each other harder during the play or they're riding up the mountain as fast as they possibly could. So I think there's this apathy around like, uh, and some cynicism too. Like as a yeah. fan of endurance sports, I'm, I'm so cynical about the results that happen across the board. And that's a horrible feeling to have as a fan, like being cynical of results that you should be applauding. It is hard. Look, I know way more than I wish I knew, but I'm still a huge fan of track and field. When I watch a track meet, I have to make a decision. Am I going to get angry at what I see or am I just going to like watch it and feel happy for the people that I know that I believe in? And yeah. I've been able to do that for the most part. I've definitely had my moments where I just want to like throw my shoe at the TV and be like, I hate this. Why are we watching this? Why am I wasting my time? But in the end of the day, I am a fan. But I think yeah. we need to like sort of take a step back of like what makes sport? Do we always need to see records? That's going to get people to dope. Sorry. Yeah. Any anytime you want to see a world record or you want to see the baseball thing, that's just promoting doping because we're asking athletes to go up against things that we know weren't real and then beat them. So yeah. what if we just say we want to see good head to head competition? We want to see good camaraderie. Like what if we sort of change what it is that we want to see? I bet the sports don't get less interesting. Let's yeah. humanize it. You know, I think we need to find a better way to celebrate the participants and the people within sport. It doesn't always have to be stories of champions and, you know, pushing the limits of physical performance. It can be a different level um, of storytelling. The other thing that I think about, the argument around this was my only way out. You know, mm -hmm. I had to become an athlete so that I could provide for my family and I can, you know, provide for the people that are relying on me. I couldn't take the risk that I wouldn't make it. So I had to do everything I could to make it. What What is your kind of thought around that? Because there is that societal element that we need to consider as well. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know what that's like, right? I mean, if running didn't pan out for me, I had a college education. I had a husband with a job. I There was other avenues for me. So there could be an athlete from Ethiopia or Kenya that gets fourth or third at a marathon and 
they're set up for generations. They can buy a hotel. They can provide for their family. I don't know what those stresses are like. I still don't think that it's it erases the bad choice, but it certainly puts it in the light that I just, I cannot possibly imagine what that is like. Yeah. So, you know, it just goes back to then changing the overall culture of, you know, like, what are we celebrating and, and what are, is it only about performance? Can we celebrate people as people? Can we put more importance on the people and how they act in their communities? I believe that elite sport is not a right. It's a privilege and there's rules and you agree to those rules. Every time you step to a starting line, every time you start a game, whatever it is, you've, you're agreeing. It's not your right to be on that starting line. I think back to a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with Britton Barbie, who is an African-American guy. We connected through endurance sports and he's on his own endurance sports journey. And he was um, he was really deeply impacted by the murder of Ahmed Arbery. And our conversation really was around, um, you know, we're never going to eradicate racism, but what can we do to make it percentages better so that thousands and tens of thousands of people's lives are saved? And I think that this is a similar conversation where we may not in our lifetime be able to eradicate doping. It may never happen. But what can we be doing to make percentages of changes to getting to a better place? Yeah, I agree. I want to talk about another thought um, that I had watching the Lance documentary with Michael Rasmussen, who's a famous doper, you know, did, did everything he possibly could to dope. And his comment was, we spend so much of our life risking our lives in the Peloton and taking risks and chances there is no reason for us to consider the harm that would have come up from the doping. Um, so that was another perspective that I've, I've actually never heard before around like he thought he was going to die on the road anyway. So what does it matter? Yeah, that line stood out to me. I actually wrote his name down um, when I was watching the documentary because that line, it, I was like, well, that's yeah. a point I've never considered before, <laughs> you know? And it was so succinct too. It was like succinct. It was like, there it is factual. And then like next scene. Totally, totally. Um, and I mean, again, I, I I can't relate to what he's saying because I don't do a sport where my life is at risk. I thought that was very interesting. I wish that they had dug into that a little bit more. I mean, I would love to like talk to him about that. But again, I feel like if I really, really think about it, I think that's just like another justification. Yeah. And the athletes that take this path, they have justified it. You know, we just interviewed Floyd Landis and he talked us through his choice, through his like absolute three-year journey to to deciding to dope. He made the justification. It took him a while to get there, but then he did. And I think if I just take a step back and take away like, oh, that's interesting. I want to talk to that guy. I feel like, again, that's it's a justification to do something the wrong way. Let's talk about current climate and the, and the ability to test. You know, I've been really interested in how drug testing is even happening now. And I know I've read some reports from USADA around how there's those mail-in tests, but athletes had to kind of volunteer for the program my concern is that it, it's all of a sudden become the wild west again a little bit where testing is not possible during this time and what are people going to be doing to kind of take advantage of that yeah, i think that's a real concern and i think that's a real possibility um i applaud usada for at least trying to do something during this time um with the with the virtual test like you have to have someone watching you and but is it foolproof no you know, um, but at least it's something, right? I mean, at least it's like they're trying something. I am worried about what happens next year. All the thousands and thousands of athletes right now that aren't having someone knock on their door for understandable reasons. Yeah. But yeah, now they're able to 
to, if they want, cheat and get away with it and get a leg up on everyone else. It'll be really interesting to see. Interesting because I'm not involved anymore. You know what I'm saying? If I was racing, it would not be interesting. It would be horrifying. But it will be interesting to see what happens with performance next year. Yeah. It's a real concern, and I, I, but I don't have an answer for it because I also believe that we should be taking COVID-19 seriously as well. Noah Bloom uh, threw up a really interesting question. I think this could kind of help us change tack a little bit here. Um, with so many headwinds and unknowns, what counts as a measurable goal, a win, a metric, a small achievement that can improve either the fight for opportunities for women or against doping? So maybe start start with women athletes. What is what it, What to you is a measurable goal that we can say that we were successful in improving circumstances for women in sport? I think for women in sport, we have a couple, I mean, a couple unique challenges. One being that some of us want to become mothers. So I would like to see a whole systematic change where, I mean, we have seen contractual changes in the last year, which has been really exciting, but I also wish there was, you know, daycare at the track meets and places for people to nurse and all of these things that would just make women's experience easier, especially when you're racing some of these big races. I mean, that's just my background. So that's what I always go to, but I had to fight with races to get an extra plane ticket to bring my mom in to watch my son. So I could get a good night's sleep. I shouldn't be fighting with anyone. You know, you're, you're promoting these athletes as mothers. You should be, you should be really considering the whole package and it's a better story for everyone. You know, it's like, it's more relatable to a lot of people to have a mom there that has a child. So I just would like to, I'm super excited about the contractual changes because I feel like for me coming back from my pregnancy, put me in years and years of an injury cycle. I came back before my body was healed. I would get injured. I'd be butting up against the three month mark where I have to race or I'm going to get reduced. So I just go ahead and race, even though my body wasn't ready so then I'd start training again, then I get injured again. And it just put me in this cycle for like four years where I just could not stay healthy. Yeah. What if I didn't have to race for a year? I probably would have been racing at a higher level more consistently for those three years instead of being in an injury cycle. So I'm excited about the contractual changes and that you know companies are starting to think long-term with athletes. Um, and then also I just feel that you know, I think the Mary Kane story, Mary Kane sharing her story really opened the lid on the body shaming and the inability for women in sport to have anywhere to go. Um, I, I just feel like we need more women in positions of power. We still don't have women in sports marketing. We still don't have women as CEOs of these big sports companies. I'm not saying you just have to hire women just because, but when you're writing a contract about a woman's return from pregnancy, and there isn't a woman in the room, mm. that's a problem, right? There needs to be a woman in sports marketing writing these contracts who's actually can relate to what these women are gonna face. So we need just more women around that women can go to. And it just helps everybody. It helps the men understand better. It helps them understand boundaries better. And it, it just, it helps everybody to just have more women in the room. What about doping? What are some of the, what do you think of the, you know, percentage points we can aim for to to see some positive change there oh geez it's so hard <laughs> i mean it's sort of a double-edged sword because you want to see more positive tests because that shows that um the tests are working but every time we have a positive test it's like oh why do we even care about sport anymore um so i would like to again it comes back to culture i'd like to see it as when it's a positive test it's seen as like a celebration wow it's working we care um, you know, the fact that it took me 
12 years to get a medal that I earned 12 years earlier is unacceptable. Things like that need to turn around quicker. Uh, I was talking to one of the best athletes in the U.S. one year, and she was at the World Championships, and she told me, well, I'm just aiming for fifth and hoping for an upgrade down the line. That's unacceptable. It needs to work quicker. We need to be retesting samples earlier and not with more frequency. And there needs to be a lot more transparency. I feel like there isn't a lot of trust right now, like, well, whose samples are being retested and are certain athletes protected? And um, so I would like to see more transparency from all of the acronyms, the WADAs and the USADAs and the UK anti-doping, everybody. Small goals you have, Cara. <laughs> I want to talk more about the podcast. I the benefit I get from having these amazing conversations with people like yourself is I get to learn so much. I get to turn a mirror on myself and think about how I see the world, um, use your knowledge and experience to go out and be better for myself. What are some of those most, you know, some of the more impactful conversations you've had where you've had this feeling of like, wow, this is a life changing conversation. I'm so glad that I had it. Yeah. I mean, obviously both Tyler and Floyd were really meaningful to me just to see the other side and to feel empathy and to think about, how I want to treat people and how I want to treat the next generation so that they don't feel like they're going to be put in those positions. Um, we've interviewed a lot of my friends, which is fun. I think we got to interview Jesse Diggins, um, yep. Olympic gold medalist skier. And that was super exciting for me. I mean, I was like smiling the whole time. I was feeling her energy. I ordered her book right after the podcast, just hearing her positivity and her love for the the buildup, not just the race. I thought that was a really great episode and I loved talking to her. I basically just feel really lucky. I get to talk to all these really cool people. And as we grow, we keep getting more people willing to come on or asking to come on. So it's just been really fun. We have never had anyone say no. The only time that someone didn't come on was when she was prepping for the Olympic trials and she got an injury and had to pull out and she didn't want to come on, which is totally understandable. Without kind of opening up the playbook too much, do you have anyone coming up that you're really excited about? <laughs> yes. I'm super, super excited about this Sunday. Um, a personal hero of mine we are interviewing, but we also have some really fun people in the in the running industry coming up. And I would actually encourage people to go back. We interviewed Allison Felix. Um, last year. And she talked about the culture of doping and sprinting. And I had never heard anyone talk about that. And that's the first interview I've ever done where I was nervous. I was like shaking because I'm like, Allison Felix, she's the most decorated track and field athlete of all time. So yeah. um, I'm excited. I just feel like we're building, building. We just, I just got in touch with someone from the swimming community, which I'm really excited about. We've never had a swimmer on. So you know, we're, we're happy to take suggestions and introductions and we just want to keep it rolling. Now you know how I felt before this show. I was, I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I actually was because this is like new territory. This is a, you know, this isn't an easy topic. This isn't softball questions I'm throwing away. So um, I was a little, little nervous. I'm going to end here with three questions that I ask every day. Um, but before I go into that, I really want to make sure that I applaud you and, and everyone knows how much admiration I have for you for the work that you're doing and standing out on the ledge by yourself. That really means a lot to me. It's been really nice getting to know you and Lauren. Um, you did a piece on me a couple of years ago for Inner Voice that was one of the like most proud pieces I've ever been able to share. So I actually just, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so the three questions I like to end with are really topical around how you're dealing with COVID and the lockdown period. And, and hopefully this will bring a smile to your face as we do this. So number one, what's one thing that's changed for you during this isolation period that you want to keep once we go back to whatever our new normal is? 
I would say two things. Um, I've been FaceTiming with my grandma, who I absolutely love, but just see her like once or twice a year. And so it's been life changing to talk to her on, you know, weekly or biweekly. And I really want to keep that up. And then I think secondly, I've had a lot more um, uninterrupted time with my son, thanks to home, home learning, which wasn't my favorite, but we had all this uninterrupted, like, no technology around his time together. And I, I really want to continue to make that a priority in my life. Second question, what's one thing that you thought was important before this period that you're happy to leave in the past? Your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things. I used to go to the grocery store like four days a week. And now I go once every seven or eight days. And I'm like, wow, I have all this time now that I was wasting at the grocery store that I didn't have to do. So I definitely want to continue with that. And then also just like worrying about like my, my hair is so gray right now and worrying <laughs> about that kind of stuff. And I'm realizing that it doesn't really matter. Like I'm wearing sweatpants right now. While I talk to you. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> kind of nice. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've worn jeans for the whole time. I'm like, no, just, I'd be afraid to try to put mine on actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's but it's just like, it's made me realize some of the sort of superficial things that I used to worry about really don't matter. This is my favorite one. Third question. What's been your most memorable moment of joy during this period? Just there's been so many little daily moments, honestly, like, you know, and my son has been sleeping in our bed. He's been afraid, which is he's nine and he's too big to be in there. But waking up the three of us in the same bed has been like just lovely. You know, having my my husband is normally behind me. He's been working from home, which has been great having his energy in the house. I mean, he's usually gone all day. So all that stuff has really brought me joy. And I, but I, I did receive my silver medal at the very beginning of quarantine, which was a pretty amazing thing to experience in quarantine. You're amazing. I really appreciate you, you for joining me and for everything you do. Um, so anyone who's listening, go and check out the Clean Sport Collective podcast. Amazing guests in the past. Go back and check out the backlog and, uh, and stay tuned for more to come. And uh be kind, everyone. Be kind on social media too. That's an important thing for us to talk about. So For sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kara. I appreciate you for standing up and using your voice for the greater good and advocating for your peers and generations to come. Today was day 28 of the I'm Curious to Know project, a series of daily conversations with world-class athletes, innovators, and unique personalities from the world of endurance sports. We have three more wonderful shows to come to close out May, so please stay tuned and thanks for being here. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.